Turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. 1963, 12.30 in the afternoon, John F. Kennedy was going through Dallas and was shot. In just one instant, a bullet crushed through the back of his skull, separated his brain stem, and in an instant, he had no more choice of what he was going to do. Can I tell you that you and I are not assured a choice tomorrow? You and I are not assured another day to live on this earth. Something could happen. Jesus could come. That'd be even better. But we're not assured. And so I believe that each of us have a need to decide where we're going to be what side we're going to be on in anticipation of Jesus' return. There's just two sides. Did you know there's no neutrality? You're either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of his beloved son. I want to encourage you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, to make a choice this morning to turn from your sin and your own way and to trust in Jesus Christ, to receive his forgiveness this morning. That is our hope. That is the choice that we must make to enter into heaven. Jesus said uh, that he is the way. Another scripture says, There is none other given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. I want you to know that that is our choice. We must respond in repentance John is, is writing, uh, and I believe that God inspired him to write these words to give us not just a preview of what will take place later on, but also to help us to see the seriousness of making a choice for God. And so we're going to be looking at verse 11 in Revelation 19. Look with me at that. Uh, then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen, from his mouth came a sharp sword, so that with it he might strike the nations. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying in mid-heaven, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. 
Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with him the false prophet who had performed signs on his authority by which he deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were killed with a sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss closed it and put a seal on it so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short time. I want to talk to you this morning about the greatness of Jesus coming. The greatness of Jesus coming. Do you know Jesus coming will be great? Um, I, I, I remember uh, different... Um, things that I've seen in the past. I remember uh, watching Robin Hood. Y'all have probably seen Robin Hood movies before. I like the one with Errol Flynn in it. It's the old one, you know, but uh, King Richard comes back and, and everybody's all excited because King Richard has appeared. He is going to rule and to reign and he's going to put the evil work of Prince John to an end. There won't be unjust killing. There won't be uh, horrible things taking place and people robbing from others, but there will be equity and justice in the land. And the people rejoice because he was coming. Well, I want to tell you something. Somebody a whole lot more important than King Richard is coming. And his name is King Jesus. And when he comes, it's going to be a great coming. And I believe the Bible records these specific things because... God wants us to understand that when Jesus comes, it will be the greatest coming of any king, of any ruler, of all of history. It will be a great and awesome coming. First of all, because there's a great king. There's a great king. Some of you probably have a favorite president that you like and that you remember. Um, Some of you may have a, a figure in history that you like. A great ruler. But I want to tell you something. Jesus is a great king. There's no king like Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Jesus became a man. He left the splendor of heaven and went to a cross for you and for me. He took your penalty and my penalty upon himself. And he bore the penalty for sin and said it is finished. And he rose three days later and conquered the grave. Jesus came. He says, I I come not to condemn the world, but I came that the world through me might be saved. That's Jesus' first coming. The Jews were confused because they had always read about the prophecies of the coming Messiah being a military ruler. Someone who would come to conquer the world and and that Israel would be the seat and the, the throne of authority for the whole world. And that is what Jesus will do with his second coming. He will come. You know, a lot of people think that Jesus is a pushover. They look at the cross and they despise Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus, in strength, laid down his life. Jesus, through the power of his love, 
laid down his life for you and for me. And in strength, he took it back up. And in strength, one day, he will come. And it will be like no other coming of any other king in history. It's a great coming because Jesus is a great king. There is also a great army. If you look at verse 14, it says, The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses. Now, I remember this Christmas story and hearing about the angels announcing Jesus' birth. And I thought, wouldn't it have been a great sight to be there on the night that the angels announced to the shepherds that Jesus had been born, to see the sky filled with angels? Well, they're going to see the sky filled with something when Jesus comes back, and it will be the armies of heaven, the armies of the saints. I believe that those who've been raptured before the seven-year period of tribulation will be a part of that group. Uh, those who, who have been killed uh, by the beast will be raised up to be a part of that heavenly army. And I also believe that the hosts of heaven, the angels, will be a part of it uh, because the Bible calls God Yahweh or Jehovah of hosts, the Lord of hosts. And the hosts of heaven and, and countless angels will come with Jesus. Can you imagine what it must be like to look up at the sky and everywhere you look and everywhere you turn, there's a huge, vast host, an army coming with Jesus. Now, there'll be an army of the beast as well. All of the armies of the world would gather around Jerusalem and will gather in the plain of Megiddo. I believe it will be such a great crowd. There will be a solid crowd all through that area. Um, and it will be a great army, but it won't compare with the army that Jesus brings with him. Can you imagine all the saints of history? Everyone who's ever named the name of Christ, everyone who's ever put their trust in Jesus will be raised up. Everyone will come with Jesus in that great army. Thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. My son and I like to watch the Lord of the Rings. And you see the great host of armies gathered together for war. There will be no army like the army that Jesus brings with him. It will be an incredible army. So it will be a great coming because of a great army. It will be a great coming because of a great battle. Verse 15 says, From his mouth came a sharp sword, so that with it he might strike the nations. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. There will be a great battle, and Jesus is the one doing it. The people have argued about whether or not the saints will be involved. I think the saints are secondary. Whether they're involved or not, it's secondary. Jesus will be the one doing most of the work. And all he has to do is speak, and his enemies are slain. That's what that sword coming out of his mouth, it's not a literal sword. It's a, it, it means that his mouth is a sword. With his mouth, he speaks, and the armies are decimated. Another scripture says, by his very brightness, his enemies are slain. Jesus, with all the brilliance of his glory, just looks somebody's way, and they're dead. I'm going to tell you, it's going to be an awesome, awesome battle. A great battle. It's a great king, a great army, and a great battle. 
I want you to also see there will be a great feast. A great feast. Now, this is kind of gross, so if you're getting ready to eat, just forget about this after I preach it, okay? The angel comes and stands in the sun. This is a, a, a poetic way of talking about the fact that God's going to gather the birds. You know, the beast is gathering his armies. You remember the frogs in the last chapter, the, the demonic spirits that go out and collect the armies of the world? The beast is gathering his armies, but God knows what's going to happen. God says, okay, he's, he's gathering his armies. I'm not impressed. I'm going to gather the birds because after I'm done with these guys, there's going to be a whole lot of dead bodies, and we're going to have to take care of them. And so God gathers all of these birds, these vultures, to come together to this place. Now, can you imagine what that must have been like? You know, you're looking at the army, you're seeing these vultures flying around everywhere. Because God knows the future. I'm going to tell you something. Your future may not be clear to you, but it's clear to God. God knows your days. The Bible says he has your hairs numbered. He knows your future. The Bible says in his heart a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. God knows your future. Is that not a comforting thought? You may not understand what's going on in your life, but God knows. He knows perfectly. He knows the solutions that you're going to need. He knows how to help you through the times of your life where you're walking through valleys. He knows how to give you grace. He knows exactly what you need because he's God. He's omniscient. So in his omniscience, he gathers all of these birds and they have a great feast on dead flesh. I know that's gross, but it's the truth. So, uh, there, it, it's a great coming because there's a great king. There's a great battle. There's a great army. And there is a great feast. And then I also want you to see there's a great capture. Look at verse 19. I'm going I'm to start reading verse 19, just a verse early. Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with him the false prophet who had performed signs on his authority by which he had deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were killed with a sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So there will be a great capture. This great capture will be the capturing of the beast and the false prophet, or the Antichrist and his sidekick, okay? These are the two men who made everyone in the world worship before the beast. These are the two men who persecuted the saints of God, who tried to persecute Israel. Uh, These are the two men who led the world in, in horrible wickedness, and who defied God's name and blasphemed God's name. These two men, God has something special prepared for. There will be a great capture. They will be seized in an instant. Y'all ever watch the show on television where they, uh, they have the SWAT teams that go and storm the houses, you know, and just in a few seconds, boom, everybody in the house is subdued. I believe it's going to be like that with these two fellas. They come out there, 
in their battle regalia, and they're shouting, and they're leading their troops in battle, and all of a sudden, in just an instant, they're captured, and they're thrown alive into the lake of fire. Now, I'm not sure what all that has to has it in mind, but I, I think I know that the Bible teaches there's an eternity of suffering in the lake of fire for those who fail to trust Christ. And I believe they're going to have the added pain of their physical bodies being burned up as they enter their eternal judgment. But it won't end with the physical body going away because the Bible says their punishment is day and night, forever and ever. There'll be a great capture. I want to tell you something. The rulers of this world, those who have power, those who have money, the Bible says the, the rich and the wealthy, they're a lie. That's because they may seem to have power, but God's the one that has power. And in just an instant, these two world rulers who struck fear in the hearts of the men all over the world, in just an instant, they'll be captured by God's messengers and thrown in the lake of fire. There'll be a great capture. Jesus' coming is a great coming because it's a great king. There's a great army and a great battle and a great feast. And there is a great capture. But there's also a great punishment. If you look in verse 20, both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. You say, preacher, I don't believe in hell. Well, that's all right. You don't have to believe in it. But I'm going to tell you this. Jesus believed in it. Jesus spoke of hell. The Bible says that hell is a place that could be compared to the trash dump in Jerusalem, the place called Gehenna. It was the place where when Israel was doing their idol worship, they, they placed the dead people that had been offered in human sacrifice to these false gods. And it was a place in Jesus' day of a trash dump. All the trash would be poured over the side of the wall down into the valley of Gehenna, and it would burn, and there would be a stench, and there was a smell, and the fire never went out. And Jesus said, hell is like Gehenna. It is a place of fire. It is a place of stench. It is a place of misery. It is a place where the fire does not go out, where the worm does not die. Hell is also a place of darkness. I've heard people scoff at that. Well, how can hell be a place of fire and a place of darkness? That doesn't even make sense. The firemen know that when you get in a really hot fire, the smoke is so thick you can't see the hand in front of your face. Fire and darkness. Hell will be a place of darkness. Hell will be a place of regret. It will be a place, the Bible speaks of the rich man and Lazarus and, and how the rich man said, Lord, please send someone to my sons so that they don't come to this place of torment. He regretted all the times he'd heard a message about how he could come and find redemption and God's forgiveness. He regretted all of the days he spent feasting in his house, not concerned about the things of God, and now it's too late, and he finds himself in hell, and he, and he knows his sons are on the same path, and his heart is filled with regret. Yeah. 
Hell is a place where people suffer for eternity. You say, well, preacher, I don't believe a loving God could do that. Well, the Bible says we send our he- ourselves to hell through the decision that we make to reject Christ. But also, God is a God of justice. Can you imagine how God must feel? God created two human beings by the name of Adam and Eve, put them in a garden. They had no problems, no sin, no bad news, nothing but God's blessing and the riches of creation for themselves. God said, I just want you to hold back from one thing. Don't eat the fruit on this one tree. Everything else is okay. Do it. Enjoy yourself. Have fun. Rule over this creation. Enjoy the work of your hands and do all these things, but just don't eat of that one tree. And what did they do? They ate of the tree. And then mankind got so wicked that God destroyed the earth with a flood. The wickedness didn't stop there. After Noah and his sons got off the ark, uh, again, over and over again throughout history and throughout Israel's time, Israel, God re- reveals himself to Israel. He, he reveals his word to his people. And they believe for a time, and then they reject him again. Over and over and over and over and over again. And finally, God says, listen, I love this world so much. I want people to be saved from their sins so much that I'm going to send my own precious son. And what do they do? They put him to death on a Roman cross. Strip him naked. Spit on him. Curse him. But God's love didn't stop there. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and he gave a commission to his disciples. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. God did not give up on mankind, even after rejecting his son. God also spoke to men and told them, my son's the only way. I know that's not popular in our, t- our culture today either. Well, how can you say that Jesus is the only way? Well, let me ask you this. Does it not make sense if the Bible is true and God created everything and God loved us in the way that he's loved us that he could say, okay, nothing else will save them. I will send my son and he will be the way that they should choose. Does it not make sense that God could call the shots on what he chose to do to save mankind? The arrogance of people. We have rejected you. We have spit upon you. We have... We have ignored you, God, and all your goodness to us and the food you provide and the, and the drink you provide and the clothes you provide and the work you provide and the families you provide. We've ignored it all, but we get to choose how we're saved. I'm going to tell you something. 
Somebody who rejects Christ has nothing to say to God in their defense. God is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. Jesus' coming is a great coming because there will be a great judgment. And then I want you to see there will be a great chain. A great chain. I kind of like this part. Look at chapter 20 and verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. Now, let me say this. We're speaking here in in what what theologians call anthropomorphisms. Okay? This may not be a literal metal chain, okay? This may be something else that God does to bind him. I'm not sure exactly what, it, what it's talking about, but it's, it's putting it in language that we can understand. There'll be a great chain, and the devil will be chained for a thousand years. I'm excited about that one. <laughs> the evil one who has incited people to wickedness ever since the garden, he's going to be chained. For a thousand years, and then after that, he's going to get—he's going to get even worse for him. He's going to get put into the lake of fire forever. By the way, did you know hell was prepared for the devil and his demons, not for human beings? We are put there through through the choice of our sin and through the rejection of Jesus Christ, because God can't have sin in His presence. The only way any of us can get into His presence is through the blood of Christ and through the righteousness that He imputes to us or gives to us by grace. We can't get in there on our own goodness. The only alternative is to be separated from God for eternity in a place called hell. But there will be a great chain. Can you imagine what it will be like to have no evil influence in the world? To have all the spiritual wickedness of Satan's kingdom put aside. Now, I know people, there are people that probably don't believe in demons go to some other parts of the world where they don't have the Christian influence we have here, and you'll, you'll find out about them. I had a, I had a friend in South Africa who uh, went to uh, college with me at the Crystal College, and he shared with me about the voodoo and, and the different things they do in South Africa, and he said people are terrified of these guys because they recognize there's a very real spiritual presence there and that things happen when they cross these people. And uh, but but when he was saved, he said the witch doctors all of a sudden were afraid of me. I tell you that ought to tell you, tell us something. We we are on the winning side. And one day Satan will be chained. Can I tell you something? God is sovereign. He is sovereign over the wickedness of this world. Why does God delay? Why does God not? yet come because he wants all men to come to the knowledge of repentance he loves us every day that we live is a a gift of the grace of god but one day the great chain will come jesus great coming it's a great coming because of a great king a great army a great battle a great feast a great capture a great punishment, and a great chain. Jesus, when he comes, will change the world as we know it. I'm going to tell you something. 
everything that happens in this world that people say, hey, let's have hope. Let's, let's, let's make a vision for the future. All that stuff is, is nothing to be compared to what Jesus is going to do when he returns. The world will be turned upside down and changed for the good. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the fact, Lord, that we know that your son will one day come. First to rapture his church, and then later on, Lord, he will come to this earth to rule. We thank you for that, and we praise you for it. Lord, help people to respond to you. It's in Jesus' name.